what what's your perception of sort of stray cats so in holland stray cats were not really an issue because most of the cats are inside but i also went for a holiday to greece and stray cats are a huge issue there there were so many of them so yeah um and you know it was almost impossible to get rid of the stray cat because you know the population was so dense and like i like you said there's lots of intact females and males Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast, and we're back. We're back. An exciting episode about mm -hmm. what exactly, Dr. Susan? Well, we're we're going to talk about feral and community cats because I don't think we ever talked about this. You know, we've talked about a lot of things, mm -hmm. but I don't think we've ever talked about about this. And there's a surgery component there, right? Because they get spayed and neutered, so. Yes, spayed and neuter early normally, uh, if we can get them early. But um, I think we had someone talk about, um, someone from California talking about feral huh. cats, but I'm not completely sure, but it was a long time ago. And, <laughs> and you, you know, if I can remember, our <laughs> listeners probably cannot remember either. And Here so this go. is an excellent topic. I do have to warn the listeners that I'm not an expert on feral cats. Well, neither so am most I. Most of the talking, as per usual, will be done by Dr. Susan. <laughs> yeah, we're frankly, we're not much of an expert on a lot of things we talk about, really. Yeah, so this is a major disclaimer that I'm putting out. So don't don't call me if you have any questions. Don't send any emails. Uh, all need to be directed to Dr. Susan. Well, you know why I suggested it for this episode? It was a news item. I think I sent you a link to the, the news item. Yes. It was because there is a feral cat problem around the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Stadium. Ooh. Yep. They, wow. they feel they need to do something about the, uh, the cats um, around there. So, but you know, um, what really caught my eye in the news article was the executive director yeah. for the premises said, I want to make it clear for the record that we need to celebrate and honor these cats because while they have created somewhat of a nuisance for <laughs> us, <laughs> they have done a superior job of getting rid of all the rodents. See, and that is exactly it. So there is advantages and disadvantages to have feral cats. Um, if we go back to the or origins of things, and that's probably Egypt, uh, and maybe even before that, cats had a really, really important function uh, because, uh, for instance, grains were very, very important in Egypt uh, society and cats were of course the protectors of grains because the vermins mice and any anything else uh you know they obviously had a negative effect on grains etc so cats were there to protect and and uh, the god bastard was a very you know important yeah. goddess i think 
in Egypt history. So, um, and, uh, and, and there's a whole area where there is thousands of cat mummies mm -hmm. found. Um, and I think you went there, didn't you? Well, I did, um, I, 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 I did see a tomb full of uh, cat mummies on my, my trip, my National Geographic trip to, um, to Egypt. It was one of the tombs at uh, Saqqara, which has a lot yeah. of things. Yep. And it was originally like somebody's tomb. And those, those tombs, of course, are like really old, right? So sometimes they get reused, you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, this bedroom used to be my daughter's, but now she's moved away. So now it's something else. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like that. And it ended up being like stuffed to the rafters with cat mummies. Somebody needed a cat mummy storage room. So they appropriated this poor person's tomb and stuffed it with cat mummies. So probably the cult of Bastet did that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yes, yes. For somebody so... who maybe somebody who like bought and sold cat mummies and had an <laughs> excess inventory i don't know <laughs> mm, could be could be but uh yeah so i i, I love anything about egypt um, yeah. and uh and yeah. i just uh you know in while we're live i will tell you that next year hopefully we will be going to egypt for a lecture series hopefully oh. after the pandemic we'll we'll arrange something in the middle east and uh, and egypt uh, and then uh, i also have promised uh, janet donlin that we will do a nile cruise then so so that's in the plans um so anybody that's in egypt right now listen to our podcast will be coming to a place near you um and so maybe we'll do some lectures there but uh yeah. so that's that's in the books but i love e anything about egypt and uh, i always take pictures of uh you know ancient egyptian cats because they're so beautiful they they were really adorated at the time um but these feral cats were very important for egyptian society because of all the vermin that they got rid of and that happened now in the Colosseum in uh oakland oakland yeah, I, you know, it's refreshing to see somebody talk about them, not just framing them as a problem to be gotten rid of, but, you know, acknowledging that they were there doing a job, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, cats are just doing what cats do, hunting and eating, right? I, I don't know that in Egypt that they thought, let's go protect that grain. It was like, no, let's go eat those rats, right? Yes. So yeah, right. so it's kind of the same, kind of the same thing. Um, so I, I did like the fact that they weren't just like, we got to go out there and like kill all those cats because they're a nuisance. And because that's what often happens. That's the attitude yeah. that we hear a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly all the rodents come back. Well, there is that. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It's at least in Canada and the US, it's less common now that a, like a company or an organization or a community would say, we just have to exterminate all those cats because they're a nuisance and they're driving us crazy. Um, yeah. Because as soon as anybody in the public gets wind of that, there's a big outcry, right? Because there's lots of animal lovers and they're looking for a more humane way. So uh, there has been, especially in the US, like a lot of work done on how to control these cat populations without trying to, to kill them all, which by the way, doesn't work anyway. That's exactly it. Yeah, you only have to miss one female. <laughs> yes, and, and one male, obviously. And one, well, yeah. Certain, you, need, you need the male and yeah. the female, Dr. Susan. But the male will come, right? You just need yeah. one female, right? Yes. And the male yes. will arrive, so. 
so yeah, you know, it wasn't a very effective method and it's like inhumane. So yeah, so, um, so I was wondering, I think there's quite a difference between Europe and North America for stray cats, right? So you grew up in Holland. What What's your perception of sort of stray cats? So in Holland, stray cats were not really an issue because most of the cats are inside. But I also went for a holiday to Greece and stray cats are a huge issue there. There were so many of them. So, yeah. um, and, you know, it was almost impossible to get rid of the stray cat because, you know, the population was so dense. And like, I, like you said, there's lots of intact females and males and the reproduction cycle of a cat is not that long. Right. So they can produce quite a lot of kittens and when they get kittens you know there's more cats and so it was there it was real really a big problem uh, in holland very few cats were stray and when they were stray they're most of the time near farms where they had a function and so people didn't care that they were stray because they were taking away all the you know all the ferments that were surrounding the farm yeah, it's certainly been my experience from some of the European countries, especially sort of more Northern Europe, that um, they don't have the same amount of stray cats in communities that we do in Canada and the US, but obviously in like Greece and Italy and sort of Mediterranean areas, I'm sure, I'm sure they do. But you know what, you just made me think of something. There are some humane societies um, who have programs to adopt out working cats. So they will find they they'll they try to find a job for for cats, right? Oh wow! So, yeah. So this is this is it's usually a feral cat program where they've trapped um, cats that for whatever reason can't go back to where they used to live, but they're they're not really suitable to live indoors as a pet because mm. right? they won't like it. They're not socialized enough, and and you know that must be just a horrible experience for a cat who's not, you know, who's an adult and not socialized to be like trapped in a house or an apartment. So they um, advertise the services of these cats for like rural properties, you know, barns, farms, places like that. And yeah. they actively try to find them a job, a job. So uh, not every, obviously not every humane society does that, but there are some that do that. And it's exactly that type of sort of clever thinking that that we need to to uh to work away at at community cat problems i, li I really like that idea yeah. I, I do think that you know it depends how many cats you have going back to greece there were so many cats that they really were a nuisance so you do have to do something to yeah. limit the amount of the amount of cats because there will not be enough jobs for them to do i can tell you that yeah and so the only way you could do that was to i think either sterilize the females or castrate the males but i think it's more useful to sterilize the females because they're the ones that are the reproducing machines and like you said you only need one female and in 53 days you have uh 10 new yeah. little kittens of which 50% is female. And so that keeps on going very, very quickly. So I don't think the problem is with the males, but you might disagree with that. Um, well, you know, the people who do the trap neuter return programs, yeah. right, which are those, those programs that um, try to trap 
cats in colonies and and spay and neuter them. And if there's little kittens that can be socialized and placed into homes, they will. But otherwise, the cats go back right yeah. to their community. They say you have to try to get every cat. Mm-hmm. You have to try to get every single one. So, you know, their experience in working in programs like this over many years, you know, says there's lots of ways to fail. And one of them is by not getting every cat. And your best chance of getting every cat is the first round of setting traps and going out there, right? Yeah, because they learn. They're very clever. Oh, they are smart, right? (laughs) They are smart. And everybody who does a trap neuter return program will have a story for us of a cat that could never be trapped because they learned how to get in the trap, eat the food and get back out. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They're very smart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and, and that uh, bears the question. So is it possible to get every cat? Yeah. So uh, obviously it's not going to be possible every time, but, and, and it's usually not. And that's why I guess taking care of a, feral cat colony or community can't be like a one-time thing. They usually have caretakers or people who feed them and, you know, uh, watch over them, watch for ones that have injuries or whatever. And they usually know every cat in the colony by sight and they've often given them names. So I've worked with a a few feral uh, cat trap neuter return programs and yeah yeah, and my experience has been that their their caretakers their volunteer caretakers know every cat so they'll notice when a new cat um, appears right because it's often a dynamic situation right the cats don't know they can't go to another shouldn't go to another colony no yeah so they they really you know if 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 you're a female in heat obviously you attract a lot of cats from the outside too sure Sure. So it has to be ongoing. Um, But there are some really clever, clever programs. So there's two I can think of. Um, The first one I came across that I was really impressed with was many years ago when I visited Israel. Um, And I was, I spent some time in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. And I spent a day with the fellow who was the city veterinarian at that time in Tel Aviv. And they had quite an innovative program. There's lots of stray cats in in, in Israel, certainly in Tel Aviv. Yeah. And just like in other places, um, people feed them and they watch out for them. And this city had been through many other methods of trying to reduce the number, trying to catch and kill them, trying to poison them, like many methods that failed and yeah. just made pet lovers very upset. Mm-hmm. So this veterinarian decided to pay people to bring cats to be spayed or neutered. And it's, it takes, I think, sometimes somebody who almost like turns the, the, the problem upside down and looks mm. at it from another point of view. And he discovered you didn't have to pay people very much with something like $5. Mm. You pay them $5 to bring in a community cat to get spayed or neutered, and then it goes back and you, you know, if you're the person who watches it and feeds it, you just get to keep doing that. But the cat's spayed or neutered. That's yeah. such a clever idea. It's just totally the opposite of, you know, what we do as veterinarians, which is we ask for the service that we do. And there obviously is a way that that vet will need to get paid for what he does. But I like the fact that you kind of 
uh, reward people for bringing in these cats because there will be people that say, hey, this is a great way of getting a little bit of extra money. So they'll be running around uh, catching catch for you instead of you doing it. You know, I, I don't even think it's the, the money. I think it's just reframing it as a positive thing and not yeah. a negative thing, yeah. right? It's just flipping that switch, right? That, that says, right. we're not, we're not going to blame you. We're not going to force you. You know, we're not going to harm the cats. They flip the switch over to, this is a good thing. The cat goes back to your community. You know, we'll pay you a bit to do it. I think it's just yes. flipping that switch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's um, a program um, here in Canada, in Calgary, where they also kind of turned the, the problem upside down and looked at it from a different point of view. And they were trying to get people who owned cats or cared for cats because sometimes people care for a stray cat around their house, but they actually don't think they own it. It's, it's, it's quite funny sometimes what makes people think they own it versus just take care of it. So they were trying to encourage people again to get cats spayed and neutered and get them um, identified so that if they were outdoor cats or stray cats, when they got picked up by animal control services, they would be easy to reunite with their family. So they again did a very positive campaign where they rewarded people with gift baskets and gift certificates to get their cats spayed and neutered and get them identified. Um, I think they, for a while, um, if, if uh, a cat who was identified and spayed and neutered um, got picked up by animal control and into the city shelter, they would like personally drive the cat back to its home like they just, they really flipped it on its head. Mm. And they, I remember seeing the director at the time, the director of that program give a couple of talks on this and their statistics for getting cats back to owners and, you know, not having to like rehome them or, or um, try to send them to another community to get a home. Their statistics were amazing. Wow. You know, it really paid off. So there are really innovative ways to think about this. Yes, exactly. I, I like the fact flipping what people think is bad to yeah. flipping it to what they think is good. Yeah, they decided to, to, to not use the stick, but use the carrot. Yeah, like that That always works better. That always works better. Uh, gestation the cats around 60 days. What was it? 60, 63. Yeah, yep. So, yep. Uh, so that's not a long time. Yeah, you know, in, in places like Greece, like Italy, right, warm climates, southern mm -hmm. climates, a female cat could probably raise three litters a year. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they probably could. Um, doesn't mean they all survive, right, because the mortality rate can be high. But if you can have three litters a year, you know, you can, you can produce a lot of cats in a very short period of time. So... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you have to think about how long a female lives in those circumstances, which probably yeah, is yeah. five, seven years. That's a lot of kittens. Yeah, like it, it really is a lot of kittens, even if you um, consider that in some situations they have a high mortality rate. It's it's a multiplier effect, right? Yes. Because each one of those then goes on and produces yes. more. Right. So it's and, a huge and multiplier. And that's exactly it. And what I remember from my Greece time was there were always litters around, always. 
there was always little kittens running around and yes a lot of them get eaten and and die and that sort of things but you only need to have a couple survive and get and because how old do they need to be i mean it's not that old so when they get mm. fertile again yeah i mean i, I it can be um, as young as four months but that's crazy certainly six to eight months i you know i wouldn't put it past them at six to eight months <laughs> yeah so that yeah. that's that's the crazy thing you know it's just like it takes half a year and then they're ready uh and and the males probably are there you know they can do it anytime so it's it's oh it's yeah just, it's just uh it's it's a vicious cycle if you think about it uh um, and that's why, you know, if you have, uh, if you see one mouse in the house, uh, it doesn't stay very long, one mouse. Exactly. Uh, suddenly you have five, ten, and it just exponentially blows up. Um, so, yeah, with cats, it doesn't go that fast because uh, mice are even more productive. But, uh, but it, you know, if you think about it, it, it's just, it is exponential for sure. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, and, you know, it's like that because um, as cats evolved, they did have high mortality rates, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they might die from all kinds of reasons. Um, cats are good hunters, but they hunt things smaller than them. And that means there's always somebody up the food chain that's bigger than a cat that eats cats, right? Yes. Yeah. So they, they fit that niche where they need a high reproduction rate to sustain, you know, a population. But now that they live around us, yes, um, they, they're, they're able to reproduce even better because they've got um, good shelter. They often have easy access to food, you know, garbage, dumpsters. That's, you, that's really often what sets people off when they get upset. You know, what makes people get upset about stray cats? Getting into the garbage. Yes. That's one of them. Yep. Um, and digging in their garden. Um, mm -hmm. That's a number, another one. At that, uh, the Coliseum. Screaming male cats. Yes, that's true. Yep. Caterwauling, I guess that's, mm -hmm. yep. Um, at that, the Coliseum um, in Oakland, people were upset because they would find cats in, in the golf carts for the golf course. <laughs> they, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gee that yeah, is the worst thing that can happen to me when i start the early morning and what do i find a cat that's, it's probably the cat smell that's another one that, that yeah oh, that's people... true urine marking smell yeah so when you have yeah. a tomcat that is in your golf cart and thinks hmm let me yeah. leave some of my <laughs> my smell behind you probably cannot use it uh, but uh, but we are at uh, 20 minutes and uh, and so uh, we have to finalize this episode but we'll be back in a week with uh, you know our second episode about yes, yes. these feral cats and what yes, are we going yes. to talk about then non-surgical contraception oh non-surgical contraception and that is a really cool topic because uh, when I was still actively practicing, there were a couple of people pretty far ahead with, uh, you know, looking for the uh, the holy grail in how could you treat cats and dogs without doing surgery, maybe with medication, maybe with other things. And so I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that was it for today. Thank you, Dr. Susan. Uh, anything to tell our favorite friends, audio friends? Um, 
well, come back next week mm -hmm. and tell a friend about us mm -hmm. and check us out on social media. It's at per podcast on social media platforms. Uh, and if you like what you hear, it does help if you tell people you write a nice review about us. That's one way that other people find us, right? Because I mean, that's what I do. If I'm searching for a podcast, um, I also look at the reviews. I look at the ratings too. So yeah, that helps. Right, right. So all very important things. We'll see you all or hear you all, you or all. you will hear us <laughs> next week. Next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 